constantly move forward. There's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow if you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I am Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host, and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us, and you can follow live tweeting of the show, ask questions, or make comments about the show during the program on Twitter at hashtag BigBeacon. Our first segment is sponsored by the book that is transforming higher education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at WholeNewEngineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore. And uh, today we're lucky to have with us uh, uh, live from uh, Lima, Peru, we have with us Alvaro Concha uh, joining us uh, as uh, president of uh, Hackspace.pe. Welcome to the show, Alvaro. Hello, David. Dave. Um, well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the opportunity, and and well, let's see what what comes. Yeah, it's great to have it's great to have you, and and uh, we like to start the show to get to know our guests a little bit, and 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 uh, we always feel blessed when we have uh, active and engaged students on the show. You are an engineering student, you're an entrepreneur, and you're a leader of a nonprofit bringing um, making and hacking to Peru. But let's. Uh, Let's go back in the time machine, and, and uh, you don't have to go as far back in the time machine as some of our guests. What were some of the uh, early influences that put you on your current path? Well, it's a little funny, because when I started to think about it, I remember when I was in preschool, yep. and one day they took us to see the big school when we were going to have our primary and secondary education. And I say it's funny because besides the amazement of being in a school where everything is bigger... I remember thinking, how much more time do I need to be here to start, to start going to college? Mm. And that's because, like, I was a little tired of being underestimated. Like, there were, uh, the, the process and the timing of the things were really, like, a little boring. Yes. So I, I knew that in high school, it, this was going to happen. And everything that people told me about college students, about what they do, what they, how they, they challenge themselves, like... Well, I was like dreaming about what was coming next on, on that part of my life, and that's what I wanted. I wanted to be like challenged. I, I wanted to stop being underestimated. So I, I since very very little, I started to to like count and and to to wish that college comes. Yes. And it's well, that's where like I think everything started. Like like by feeling like feeling a little underestimated and. I, I love I, I like to I love to create, but when I yeah. trying to to make things, they were like ugly. So I started to say, okay, what am I, what, am I, what do I want to study? Why do I want to learn to create more? And yeah. that's where well, most most of, of it. That's where it all started, I think. Yeah, so that's interesting, and 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 it's so it's so, so interesting that sometimes 
um, people can be inspired by positive things in their lives, and then sometimes people can be inspired by negative things. So I'm hearing the the being bored and underestimated uh, was sort of the beginnings for you, and and as you know, we're in. Uh, on this show, we're interested in these unleashing experiences. So I'm I'm hearing in your story that you just told the the I that you wanted to be unleashed. You wanted to stop being underestimated. You wanted to be able to do things that you wanted to do. And so, um, uh, you know, what, where, and where in your career did you find? that unleashing. So clearly you're doing things that you want to do now, but you came to college. Did it, did it meet up to those expectations that, that it would be this great place where you could do what you wanted? Well, that's the second part where a new goal started to, to appear in my, in my head. Yeah. Just because, well, I study in a national university. One of the, the it's considered one of the best engineering uh, universities in, back in Peru. Yep. But it, it's like, the effort you, you, you have to, to make to, to get there is like, well, I imagine that it's like going to, to MIT. And yeah. I think that I had, I had to prepare for almost a year and a half. And a half. I was one of the top students at, at my high school. But yeah. even though, I, though I, I had all, those, all that knowledge, I had to study and, and put all my effort to, to, to like, pass the bar. So. Right. There, there is no way uh, to, to explain that, that, that happiness that, that invades you when, okay, you, you get accepted, you're, just, you're finally going to, to accomplish that dream when, you're, that, when you were little and, and, and go to the, that like, harder university there is, there is in your country. Yes. And so with all that expectation and, well, it is a dream imagine to go to somewhere, some place like okay, well, the MIT of your university of your country, and yep. you, and you finally see like a broken educational system, and like it's like it it just it doesn't about only you. It it it's about you know you're surrounded by, by talent. You're surrounded by a lot of students and and people that really also want to to accomplish a lot of things to to be like really important. To, to make really important things, but we're really like with, with our hands tight, tight because yes, we we don't we, we don't see what we expected there. Yeah, so I'm hearing I'm yeah, so I'm hearing that you work so hard, you you passed tests, you got good grades, you did whatever you needed to do to get into your country's MIT Universidad Nacional de Ingeniería, and so you get in, and and uh, and then you get there, and you go. Is so I'm hearing it was it's disappoint. It's I'm hearing that it's beyond disappointing. It's like no. it's I'm hearing that it's broke that you you saw it as broken when you got there. Is that no. fair? Yeah. Yeah. So you see all, all that talented students because they need to be talented uh, to, to to pass the bar and to, to get there. And they start to skip classes and go to, to play video games uh, like outside the university. They start sure. to like n- not attending classes because because it's not mandatory to go to classes. And everything, and everything becomes like uh, having good grades. You only have to study and to study from previous exams. It's a lot great grades. And I'll, I'll, some assignments, but yes. So we 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 are like raised there to be like problem solvers. 
Yeah. And it's all like conceptual uh, knowledge, even though I study mechanical engineering, but we, we really don't know what we are capable of. Yeah. It's like, okay, we can solve whatever we, we want to solve, but it's all in, in our head. We, we don't really to get to, to, to touch more things. Well, we have lab, labs, but it's like doing a recipe. It's like, okay, we have to make that inform that, and, and that's all. Yeah, and I mean, this is a story that, of course, is uh, we're hearing a story of Peru, but we're not picking on Peru today. This is a story that we hear repeated around the world of um, engineering, uh, in many cases, being a very difficult um, line of education to get into. So you you work really hard to get into it, and then you get in, and you think that it um, that it's going to be about making things and and designing. Uh, designing products and creating a better world, and and it turns out that it's a, a largely about theoretical knowledge and, and what I've what I've called the math science death march before. Yep. Yeah. So, but anyway, let's let's uh, stay on the positive side of the ledger. You you um you you know so you got in the top uh, arguably the top university in your country, and you're studying mechanical engineering. What? What inspired you, or why did you choose engineering as your course of study? Well, as I said before, I, I love to create. So I've like been trying to do things with music since I was little. My parents like put me into music classes with yeah. guitar, piano, a lot of things. I like to make like audiovisual things. I like to to write. I like to well, so I also like design things with graphic designer. So yeah. I, I, photography. I, I went into a lot of things to, to try to, to to try to figure out how this situation thing works. And then, well, I stumbled up uh, this like okay, handcraft or, or how to make ma- ma- machines. So I, I I saw that it was really more difficult than something I can do by myself. And also yes. because I also need machines and need a, a lot of things that I need to be. be thought of, I need to, to know how to, to use them and, and to make beautiful things with it. So that's why I, I wanted to first study something that was like the harder thing for me. So it's, it, it goes around like mechatronics, robotics, but the first thing I wanted to know was the like mechanical thing, how to make the, the, the structural things and, and, and make things work, things work by, by, first by design. Yes, and so I'm hearing. I'm hearing. Um, actually, so I'm hearing that you're uh, going into mechanical engineering came out of a love for other kinds of making, especially in the arts. That you, the you made music, you made uh, visual art, you um, you did. Uh, there was various kinds of making, and you were sort of going deeper into complexity of making, and so mechanical going into mechanical making was. Uh, a natural migration for you. Yeah. Yeah. So what, um, and just, uh, to, to kind of finish on, uh, so you're, I think what you're, you're near graduation. When do you expect to graduate and what are your plans after graduation? Well, I'm on my last year of university. I expect to yeah. graduate to write next semester. Yeah. And after that, like I want to keep gathering more information and experiences about how to improve this educational system, how to really don't uh, like, take this 
talent people and, and make a path for them to specialize, if they want to specialize in creating technology or, or, or knowledge for, for our society. So yeah. that's like, I want to, to gather more, more, more information and things to, for it to, to happen. Yeah, and so, and we met um, this year, we met earlier in the year at a, um, at a student-run conference called Intercon 2016 in, uh, it was in Peora, Peru. I was giving some talk, I was giving some uh, a talk and, and um, you were there and, and I found out that you are founder of what, uh, maker hacker space called hackspace.pe. So what is, um, t tell us the story. What is hackspace? Well, Hackspace Peru is a non-profit association that promotes and spreads the hacker and maker culture among the account our country jobs by organizing various programs and activities. So we especially are focusing at universities, but now we are also trying to, to, do, to work with high schools. And our main objective is to generate community-based environments for creation with technology, to, de to, de to, to develop for, for the students independent learning skills, and to strengthen the, the self-confidence for creation. So for this, we have like a, a big program, and we like introduce these people to technology, and then we let them like be more free and to, to share in community, to learn by themselves, and to have like a constant space. We we almost every week we have all nighters. It's yes. like our our gym. Our uh, it's like you go to a library or to a gym, and instead of having your weights and your machines, you you can take your laptop and your electronic components, and you can start like training and, and playing with technology and, and starting to, to really know what you are capable of doing. Yeah, so when we uh, talk about the kind of, you know, so there are different kinds, and uh, I think uh, you had an earlier experience where you, um, where you were part of a fab lab, the kind that came out of MIT, and so, um, so the kind of technology that we're talking about here, are we talking, we're talking about uh, uh, 3D printers, uh, electronic Arduino kits, what are we talking, uh, uh, coding, what are we talking about technology-wise? Well, it's interesting because when you look at, at research and, and technology as, a, as, an, observ as the, an observer or as another an site, yeah. You think of it as, as magic, yeah. so and that it depends in, in machines and in more technology and in, in a lot of money. But when you are in it, in, in this world, and, and you see what it's about, it's really all about people and, and the effort they put it in, and and that, that they constantly challenge themselves. So I, I, I found out that even if we cannot afford to buy like really big and expensive machines or we can afford to maintain them, well, it doesn't matter. We, we can still be shaping the, our students and our community with creating and creative our researching skills. And that's where the value of the hacker and maker culture gets, gets into the game. Yeah. Okay, and so, um, okay, so you're not dependent on expensive machines. So what, what kinds of uh, things will, will people typically do in um, in your in your all nighters and the the activities that you run, what kinds of yeah, things well, do they make? Yeah, like we start trying not to depend on these these machines because for that we need funding and for funding right. we need like more time and more experiences and more yep. more good uh, good experiences. So we now we we depend on on the, the people the, their laptops. Well, we can also use some labs with computers, 
and yep. also with electronic components like Arduino, Raspberry Pi, yep. and, uh, and and all, all that kind of stuff that people can buy or people can borrow, and that are, are not most of them are not from the university. So they if they mess up, or they are from from the people from the, from the ones who, who mess them up, so they can buy another one, and they're not so, so expensive. So they, they can really play with technology. It's important to not only to play with it, but if you play with it, you also break it. So most yep. of universities doesn't understand this, this this thing, and if something breaks, they like okay, you cannot use that place anymore, or you cannot use that kind of machines anymore. But really breaking things, like you don't want to break them, but it's part of of the learning process. So yeah, so I'm, uh, yeah, so I'm yeah. Yeah, no, so I'm hearing that one of the key lessons that you've learned in, in starting in a fab lab with expensive equipment and moving to something where people come with the technology that they have or that they can scrape up what they bring, that I'm hearing a couple lessons in there. I'm hearing one lesson is that um, it's important for people to be invested in the technology and it's important for them, it is important for them to... Um, to, to have technology that can be broken so that uh, real failure can take place as part of the process. Is that, is yeah. that fair? Yeah. What, yeah, uh, with, and, yeah, yeah. And we've got about uh, 30 seconds left in this segment. What other, what are, if you, if you think back to your fab lab days and now with uh, hackerspace, what other, what other one or two big lessons have you learned? Well, I learned that it's also about like, Connection and community, and and trying to be part of of the world, mm. because the, one of the most important things of, of Fab Labs is that they are a, a worldwide community. So you can share your experiences, like from people from Europe, from Africa, from United States, and from a, a lot of countries. And really, now everywhere in the world there is a, a Fab Lab. There is there is people like trying to yeah. to work with this kind of technology and doing projects and. And you can show them to them, and, and it's really a global community. Nice. So let's, why, don't we, why don't we take a break, and then we'll come back, and, and I want to dig into um, Hackerspace uh, Peru in a little bit more depth. How about that? Okay. Sounds good. So this is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, Alvaro Concha. And in the next segment, we're going to dig into uh, Hackerspace Peru and, and uh, get into some of the more uh, nitty-gritty of what, what, what they do. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. I'm Dave Goldberg, and the second segment is sponsored by Three Joy Associates. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership consultation to help transform your school or organization. And you can um, you can uh, write to me at deg at bigbeacon.org uh, with your questions, or you can go on Twitter at hashtag bigbeacon and um, make comments or post questions for today's show. Uh, it's being tweeted live by Emma Schoenfellner, program assistant. So, Al- Alvaro, uh, before the break, we were um, we were talking about how you uh, actually a very interesting story of coming from high school and hoping to be inspired by college and realizing, as many students do, that um, higher education the world over is in many ways uh, broken and and it missile at least misaligned with the 21st century, and so. Um, so, um, actually, um, how, um, yeah, actually what were the steps and we, we didn't talk about this last segment, but I'm curious, what were the steps between sort of seeing the, the kind of formalized fab lab that exported by MIT, as you say, the world over and going to the less formal, um, hacker space. How did that, what was the evolution of that and, and how did that, how did that actually take place? When did that take place and how did it take place? Okay. So it's, it started when I started to, to participate not in, in the fab lab, like a coordinator. Yeah. And the, the bigger problem, the, the biggest problem is was that there, there were no people participating in, in it. So there were no students of the university getting into the, this kind of, of laboratories and in their activities, and it's mostly because they didn't know how to use the machines. Mm. And it's also because the, the Fab Academy, that the course when you, you learn how to use all these things, it costs like $5,000. And for a national student, well, for a student of a national university and that doesn't have the resources, it was a lot. Yes. So I... I I started to, to participate in this lab because before they, they launched the first uh, academy, there was the, some pre-academy that was like like 10 times, no, more than 10 times less the, the price. It was really cheap. So I, I got into that, that course and started to learn how to use the machines. Then I started to realize that I was like the only one that was like playing and starting to to understand how this this these machines works and what what I can make with them, and at the end the laboratory didn't have a, a sustainability model because it it didn't merge with the university system. Yes. Because a laboratory most mostly in our university is like it can have three uses. It can be for classes. Yeah. It can be for 
uh, third-party services, or it can yeah. be for research. Yeah. But a fab lab is, is more of a place to for people to, to, to play with technology, to try to, to make prototypes, but they are not still like research projects. They are more like a, a previous place where you can play with the machines and, and, and trying to, to, to build things like rapidly. So there is no no system, no administrative system for, for this kind of place to, to survive because how do they get the materials? How do they get to to fix the machines if they broke? So if they break, so it's like there was a problem in there, a really like problem in the core of how this kind of places would, would, would survive. But the philosophy and the the objective of, of this place was really, really cool and really amazing, and I wanted to like yeah. make make it survive. So that's that's where, where we started with Hackspace. We used the place of the Fab Lab, but we didn't use the machines. Only internet connection, and okay, that they they help to have permission to do all nighters at university because most of mostly at every university in, in my country, you you can't have all nighters there. So we started with, like, trying to make this philosophy of Fab Labs survive, yeah. but we, without using all that extensive machines and all, all the materials. And that's where we started also using the, the concept of hackathons. So it, it, like, it was a, a mixture of things and, and trying to, to make a model that, that could survive and that could make this, this philosophy and this, this kind of of sharing experiences and to, uh, of, and to create and to understand what you, we are capable of doing uh, with mostly cheap, cheap, cheap or, or like technology that we all can have access, like it's internet, like with a laptop and with electronic components. Yeah, so I'm hearing your response is a classical entrepreneurial response to a situation that's got some good pieces to it, but it's not quite working for the market that you're in. And so you're thinking, all right, how do we get this to work? And so there's an economic component to it about not using the machines, I'm hearing. And then there's a component of how how do we get students actually involved in the thing so that it's not just this nice lab that has great equipment and that people can talk about on the outside, but it's actually a real community and a real culture. And so I'm hearing... About, I'm hearing that the all-nighters and the hackathons, the activities that you added on, um, um, were the were the entrepreneurial responses that that got you that got you actually people involved in the activity. Is that yeah. is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Like, so and those and so yeah. So tell so you've mentioned those two things. You mentioned all-nighters and hackathons. Uh, tell and and if there are other activities we should know about, tell it. But tell us about those two. What what's a typical all nighter like? Well, like the the basic Hackspace community, uh, how it starts is with uh, a free training for everyone interested in the university. Okay. So now we every summer have a, an open training uh, on five areas: that it's front end development, back end yep. development, algorithms, electronics. And mobile development. Okay. So, like, we have all, our all-nighters and these this, this key places that we want to constantly happen and, and be, be available for people to train. But first, we want to give them, like, the, the basic tools for them to get the best out of, out of, it, out of it. So that's where the, our initial training uh, works. We have 
Uh, first, we have a virtual one that it, it lasts like one month, yeah. where people, anyone interested can get to know the, the basic of these five uh, areas. And then we have a presential sessions that they last more or less like two weeks. So this past summer, well, this summer in, in Peru, it's yep. winter in, in the U.S. Of course. We had like 2,500 uh, people that signed up for the, our virtual training. Yes. And then it was, they were from all, all over the country, and then uh, we had to choose almost 70 people to, to go to Lima and to participate in our presential sessions where they, they specialize a little more. Then, uh, the one... So, yeah, let me make they, sure I... Let me, yeah. let me interrupt. Uh, so, let me make sure I understand. So, you had 25 people apply, and 70 came to... Thousand. Yeah. And no, then... No, 2,500 no, people applied. 3,500. No. 2,500. 2, yeah. That's what I said. 2,500 applied. And yeah. then of those, 70 came to Lima. Now, did the others receive some some training virtually over the web or how, how or, or they yeah. were just select? So, yeah. How was, how did that so work? 2,500 people applied to the, yeah. and they got access to four weeks of training on our web. Okay. So they, they could specialize in, in any of the five areas I mentioned before. They could go into the five if they want. And then they have to like uh, submit their assignment, weekly assignments. So the people that really that are really interested and that uh, like pass the bar yeah. of the of the note, of the grades, they were selected to come to Lima and to have uh, some more more uh, and a further specialization in those areas. I see. Cool, good. Then, and then yeah. Then okay, the, the the people that studies like uh, on the other regions Peru, they go back to the universities, and they start, they mo most of them want to open a community at the university. So we start working with the we can travel there, and we start to talk, talk with their deans or the president of universities. And here in Peru, we also start with our all nighters. So all these all the people that the start that not. Now, now they have like basic knowledge. They yes. can start participating in the all-nighters, and also in every university where they want to have a community, they also can have their own training. So, for all their students, we we also can have, can give them the, the first training we we have. Nice. All right. So I'm hearing. So they they get training. They get they go back to their home schools. They try to they if they wish they can start. And try to get cooperation to start uh, uh, a hacker uh, space in, at their university if they get cooperation, and um, and then there in Lima you you started running the all nighters. Yeah, so we have like three locations in Lima where we have all nighters, two in universities, one in a, in a company, Fed's Cross Border, and and here we we try to like have these these places. Our all-nighters are the, the real place where, where our philosophy and our community, like, works. Because we try to, them to learn by themselves, to share by community. There are no, no like, classes at the all-nighters. Sometimes we can have some workshops, 
but it's mostly a place for you to challenge yourself every week and to learn something new, to create something new, and to uh, and we we wish for them to develop two key things for us. One is the the, the self learning abilities. Yes. They, they they learn, they end up knowing how much it would cost for them in, in time to learn something new. They know who to ask, and the other key skill is the self confidence of creation. So, like every week, they build different things, and they also end up knowing they can build whatever they want. Now, the the only thing that's missing is the the motivation. So then we have some other processes for for them to connect with incubator to to form a team and it's more like open an open innovation model we have after this but our key and our key activities are, are these community activities and our all-nighters that yes. we want to, to for them to happen every week beautiful yeah what it's a great great model and um and so you must um in these activities you with the various people that have been involved there must be stories of inspiration and unleashing among the the many people that you've worked with, are there are there stories among among them that are especially um, motivating or inspirational? Yeah, well, it actually started with one, and it it keeps like generating more 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 great stories yep. because one of our like top mentors at the at our community yes. was a uh, well. Uh, a, a, a guy that he was like 19 years old that, at that time. He yes. never went to university, but yeah. he kind of has uh, ha, well has Asperger. So mm. uh, well, while he was at high school, he well he hated high school, but he found that coding was really his thing. Yes. So since he was 13, I think he started to work in for in a project for your dad. So he made like uh, a Google Street View, but at the time that where Flash was the, the big thing, and yes. well, he worked with something really cool. He then sold that company. He got like pretty pretty good amount of money. Like he he got a startup when we even didn't knew here that didn't know here that there was that concept, and he started like learning by himself a lot, specializing a lot. And then when we we opened our first training, when we went yes. to make that community, he applied to be a mentor. Yes. And then he started to share this this ability of learn by himself, this this excitement for knowing more things every time. And I think he was uh, our one of our grounding stones for for this community to to keep growing. And well. Then the people that was on that first batch of that first group, there were like people that didn't know nothing about coding or, or almost nothing. Yes. There were some of them. Most of them are really, really poor people that live are the, the external areas of of, of our of, of Lima. And yes. It's really well. The National University of Engineering is really place where poor people also can, can be there. It's yes. really great how, how a lot of diversity we have there. So most of the, some of them, like really, really, really uh, like poor uh, people that, poor students yeah. that wanted to exceed and wanted to be better, they started to to participate in our all-nighters, they started to learn a lot, 
they're starting to, uh, after like a year of, of being participating in a hack space and not knowing a, a thing, they're starting to to work and in, in companies and starting to to have a, a really really good salary, and now they they get paid as as, as top developers. Uh, we also have two alumni that were to well, they won scholarship for Singularity University. Yes. And so we have people that really have like exceed themselves that have that that now know what they are capable of. They really keep like looking for more knowledge and more new technology, and they are not afraid of of okay, there is something new, and and you don't know anything about it. That there is more like excitement for them to 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 find and to work with new things and and to be in that constant challenge of of learning something new. Uh, beautiful, and then um, and and I, I imagine there are many more of these uh, unleashing stories, but there also must be stories of of resistance because whenever you do something that's this different, especially, um, and I i I love Peru and I've been to Peru a number of times and um, and the the there's a strong sense of status and class um, in. Uh, not to generalize, but uh, that uh, uh, in in the culture and and you're challenging that by being fairly egalitarian and and anyone can come. And so, what what kinds of stories of resistance are there when people tell you that what you're doing is impossible or that you shouldn't do it? Or what what kinds of examples? Uh, maybe one good story of resistance. Can you tell us? Well, when we first started, we had the. Uh we hopefully had uh, that fab lab and that space where we, we get help. Yes. But it's it's really hard when we want to open a new place and start new activities. First, to challenge that no all nighter uh, idea. Yes. That it's like healthy for the students to to eat, to sleep their their hours. But they don't know that they're still studying at their houses, and they they really don't sleep even if you take them out <laughs> of of the of the university. So yeah. it's more like trying to understand how is the, the really dynamic of the of the students, uh, how they learn, uh, how they they share, and uh, what what are their needs. So it's 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 better for for to for for the sake of changing that 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 mentality to that that we had that that experience. Uh, at at Fabla, we had that opportunity to have all nighters and to to show that really people can learn, really people can people want to be there, and and it's like also one of the difficult things that we we face there is when we start to to open new spaces or even at, at the Fabla, like as. Because we didn't have that that much of experience, uh, that much of of good uh, experiences with, with with people and and, yes. and people to to show, we started to talk only with the with the the, uh, the staff of the, at the university that was in charge of one one location. So when we made activities or all nighters or or, or 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 events at at those places, it's it was like they were making us a favor. Because we we only like talked with them and they knew what we were doing, but it's their job to 
to, to keep that place safe and, and clean sure. and all that thing. Then we learned that it's better if we can go talk directly with uh, the dean or the president of university or the people that is really in charge of, of all the yeah. activities and for them to understand what we're doing and for th- those activities to stop being a favor for them. Like, mm. so, uh, but, and and uh, start being a favor for, for us that, okay, they know that they need to, be, to have these activities and we don't charge for them. Yeah. So it's like, okay, at least invest in, in, in the space and invest in giving us uh, facilities for, for them to happen. Yeah. Let's, let's take another break, and I, I want to come back to the subject of resistance and overcoming resistance. I hear that you've overcome it in a number of cases, in part by going, to, um, going up the food chain and talking to uh, presidents and deans and so forth. And, and uh, I want to talk about faculty resistance, too, because I, I've, I've heard other stories of resistance to student-run activities um, in South America, especially in Brazil with, say, uh, Brazil Junior. So I want to come back to that. Let's, let's take a little bit of a break and come back right. and talk a little bit more about resistance and then also talk about what you've learned and how it matters to uh, engineering and higher education more generally. How's that? Perfect. Great. This is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, Alvaro Concha. And in the next segment, we're going to talk about... Um, um, more about resistance in hackerspaces, and also what what are the lessons of hackerspace uh, tell us about higher education, engineering education, more generally. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. Our final segment is uh, sponsored by Big Beacon itself. Join us. Um, join us for a free webinar, a, a couple of free webinars, one called Four Keys to Ineffective Change, How to Blow Transformative Change Without Really Trying, and another called um, The Emotional Rescue of Education, A Practical, Engaging Approach to Transformative Change. Watch BigBeacon.org for more information or write to me, Dave Goldberg, at deg at bigbeacon.org to find out more. 
So uh, we return, and um, in this final segment, uh, we're, we're uh, back with Alvaro Concha of uh, Hackerspace Peru, and we've been talking about uh, Hackerspace. We've been talking, in the last segment, we were talking about resistance to the efforts, and I remember in, in doing some work in Brazil um, that one of the things, one of the cool things that I saw in Brazil was a student, a student-led effort uh, where students ran small enterprises. They would run little consulting firms in their disciplines. So they might run a, an industrial or mechanical engineering consulting um, business and they would get projects and they would get paid for them and they would learn project management and they'd learn all kinds of stuff. And the students thought it was great. Or people, even it wasn't just in engineering, kids in advertising or economics would have these little these little clubs and they and and the junior enterprise uh, businesses would give them experience in the real world and and uh, many of the big Brazilian companies thought this was great and tried to hire kids who had this experience, but it, I remember in when I would talk to my colleagues, uh, the professors at these universities, many of them talked negatively about these experiences in much the same way that you were talking about, that, that well, this will divert them from their studies, this will dilute the basics, they won't understand the theory, it'll be too much like training. There were a lot of objections to Brazil Junior and Junior Enterprise, and I'm, I'm uh, and we were talking about resistance to what you were doing, but I was hearing it as resistance uh, in getting in. But, but how do how do professors um, react to students participating and doing this kind of thing? Do they do they view it as a waste of time and that the kids should get down to work and really study the the theory, or or how how do um, how, how do the schools and the professors and the traditional educators view the kinds of things that that you're doing with? thousands of people. Well, we have uh, really a lot of, of, of different opinions in there. Um, yeah. Well, some, some of the, the fears, because they're mostly fears of the professors, of, of, uh, fears of the change of, of various things. Yeah. And most of them, okay, they have like a very like understood, understandable uh, fears. And the only way to, to change them is to like, well, one of the things that I try to do is to connect it to other experiences abroad, to how things work in, in other places they, they consider they are like, better or they are more developed. Yes. Also, I try to, to show them the experience of different students because every student is different. And also every student is, is looking to learn and to develop in, in different areas. So it's this this kind of protection is is also some some uh, one um, a sort of of not letting them to to explore by themselves and to to be like uh, like very visited all, all the process but well it's it's also it's already like college they they need to have a little freedom and a little space to, for them to to decide why they want, what they want to do so it's it's more about like Letting them experience and, and, and well, with those kind of, of professors, it's more like to to show them little by little, and to start well, with simple events or with simple activities, and to sh show them that they don't have nothing to fear, and, and that's that's how we we start to or how we start working with new universities or or new like uh, faculties. Yes. It's more about like starting little by little, and it's a, a really long work when we have a lot of 
a lot of that, that kind of, 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 of thought. Yeah, actually, so in, in my experience, I, I've seen it, and I, you're exactly right to put it in emotional terms. Um, the, the primary thing keeping people out of change is fear, and, and, then, um, and then we think that the thing that we need to do is, you know, so people say, well, let's do an assessment. Let's get more data. And, but as if giving people more data is going to overcome fear, and and it's just we're so mistaken about how or not mistaken but um, our understanding of how people actually change their minds is really um, so you know sometimes we on on simple matters we change our minds first but my experience is and it I'm hearing it in your stories that people change their hearts and then their then their minds and so part of what you yeah. do is show people that a this isn't harmful so there's no reason to be fearful and then they witness genuine student engagement and they see some of these stories of students who they thought were no good taking off and doing wonderful things and they go what was that it was, it's like an atomic bomb going off when a young person who's been unmotivated becomes motivated and and a faculty member witnesses that emotional explosion. That's when that's when people go, "Oh, there's something here yeah. that we were missing." Is that? And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I've seen that over and over again. That the the mechanism for changing minds is actually change their hearts first. Comment? Yeah. The problem is to see it as a thing or as a process, but it's about people. So it's not that you can put everything in the same. Like in the, with the same clothes and with the same process and with the same experiences, it has to be something that each student has to discover. And it's also one one of the of the main themes of of education that it it has to be subjective. So the students must must understand what they are are, are studying, what they are like reading by their own experiences. And that's how that's why they, like to create and to to think to. See these things like in real life helps a lot and helps for the students for them to be like more into it, to really to, to live and to also see how they can use all this knowledge and all, all this they are getting from the university to their society and to their surrounding. Yeah, nice. And so um, much of what we've been talking about is is outside the classroom, which is great. I mean, it's great to have. Um, Junior enterprise is really important institution in Brazil. What you're creating, I think, is an important uh, institution for your country. Um, these and there, there are many of the activities that are motivating uh, and that get kids excited about about education are outside the classroom. And so that raises the question: whether um, is it important? Is it imp you know? So you you said, well, I came to school. I wanted to be inspired. I wasn't inspired. So you went off and created this other stuff. How important is it to try to move some of this out of the class inspiration back into the curriculum, back into the what's required as part of the educational process? Right. Well, it's definitely important. Not not because of the of the knowledge you can get and at the at the classroom but because of the connection you can get with the professor. And it's mostly because if you want to, like, create, you want to make, like, technology or, 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 get, or create more knowledge for your society, for your country, you need to have courage and you, you need to be vulnerable. And if you want to keep creating things, 
you need to embrace an, a, a constant redefinition of yourself because everything you make is a, a, a one one more example of who you are and what you can what you are able, uh, capable of and you you everyone every every time you want to make uh, like greater and bigger things so it's important to have someone and someone more experienced that can tell you that okay this this is like that this is like that don't be afraid and 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 to help you challenge yourself and to help you like realize how this world works because like Normally, the, the, the traditional educational system we see and we, we know about, it mostly shaped for people that want to have, I don't know, it's, I think it's most, in my country it's mostly for, to end up being an administrator or, or to end, end up like managing things. Yes. And that's also mostly because my country is, is not a, a, a country where a lot of big research uh, goes on. So it, it, it takes a different type of skills and a different type of of courage and of feelings to yes. to run a business than to create technology and to create knowledge and to and to research and to all, do, do all this kind of, of stuff and we need to to know how our life will be I, I just been talking with an artist and we were talking about this this creation itself it, we, we came to to realize that it's it's always about being vulnerable because you everything you make is yes. a, a reflection of who you are and, yes. and who you wanna be and it redefines everything like what you think about yourself. So it's it's a constant place to for you to to put your life in something and you need to have a mentor and, and someone that can help you understand how this process works and realize that this fear you you always will have or this these inner uh, feelings will always be there. So you, you need to like learn how to deal with them. And it's, it's, it's always a difficult thing for, for like scientific science people or for engineering students, because we're mostly introvert people. We, we, we deal with feelings that are different. So it's really important to have this, this example and these mentors. Yeah. So, at university okay. or at college, it, it must be the place where we have those kind of, of people that, that are, not, are not also teaching us that, that knowledge, yeah. and, but are also how to deal with all these things and how to, to really make things for, Great. for our society. Beautiful. Well said. Where can, uh, we, we're at the end of the show. Where, quickly, where can, what URL can people use to find out more about Hackerspace and, and how can they contact you quickly? Well, uh, Hackspace, we have our, our web page, it's hackspace.pe. They can contact me on Alvaro uh, at hackspace.pe also. Or you can, they can uh, uh, search me on Facebook on Alvaro Concha. And Great. I will have to talk with you. Beautiful. Alvaro, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm just uh, I'm sitting here stunned by your articulateness and wish you well in all that you do. Thanks for joining the show. Thank you very much for the invitation. You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. A special thanks to our guest, Alvaro Concha of Hackspace.pe. Help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. 
Join us next week, same time, same channel, in our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.